in week number two of a series titled Finding Time. And the idea behind this series is that if we are honest, all of us would probably admit that we are incredibly busy people. In fact, in an article I read recently in the Harvard Business Review, they were talking about the state of busyness in American culture. And the title picture for the article was this picture here, and I want you to see this. And I saw this and I immediately thought, that describes moments of my life right there. Trying to figure out how to hit all the balls, to do all the things in all the places with all the people. And it just, I look at this picture and I do not feel comfortable. I feel chaotic and I feel anxious and stressed. And I think if we're honest, this picture for a lot of us can describe our life. Whether it's our work schedule, whether it is the constant schoolwork we have to do if we are a high school or college student, whether it is the constant going from game to activity to activity to game, all of these things that we have to do, whether it's the constant buzzing and dinging and clicking and vibrating of our phones and our computers and our email, or whether it is all of the constant social expectations and gatherings and things that we have to be a part of, the reality is that we live in a culture where we are busy. Now, there's probably a small percentage of us, if we were honest, that intentionally plan to be that busy. Like we set out one day and we said, man, I, wanna, I, I hate downtime. I want to I fill up my schedule. I want to do as many things as I can. And maybe there's a few of us that do that. But I would think the majority of us, if we're honest, we never intentionally set out to be as busy as we are. I think we never planned it. It sort of happened to us. It's sort of like driving a car that is out of alignment. Anyone ever done that across all of our campus? You ever driven your car and it was like a little bit out of alignment and like where you would normally be able to kind of hold the steering wheel like this and go down the road to go straight because of the, the way the alignment is, it's either gonna pull you to the middle of the, the lane or it's gonna pull you off and so you kind of have to steer it more like this or like this just to go straight and the whole time if you're not paying attention, there's this constant pull that will slowly drift you in one direction or the other and I think for many of us when it comes to our schedule and our busyness and our productivity and all of these things, it is not something we intentionally set out to do, but it is something that we have slowly drifted into because of the constant pull of our culture. Because our culture tells us, society tells us, the busy people are the good ones. To be successful you have to be productive. You have to hustle. You have to get it done. You can never say there's too much, right? And we even say something in Christian world, oh, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. You should be able to do anything and everything that God gives you. You should be able to go and go and go and go. And so what we find is what's normal for us is we're busy, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed, we're anxious, and we're just worn out. And I think this is why when we ask people, like, hey, how are things going right now? And most of the time, people will say, oh, man, things are great. We're just incredibly busy right now. We've got these schedules, and this is crazy, and we're just so busy right now. I can't remember the last time I've actually asked someone, how are you guys doing? And they've said, you know, things are pretty chill. Like, not a lot going on. We're just kind of relaxing. I think if somebody said that to me, I wouldn't say it out loud. But in the back of my mind, I'd be like, what's wrong with these psychos? Like, why don't they have more things to do? Why, why, why aren't they busy? Why aren't they doing something? And for those of us that have decided to dedicate our lives to following Jesus, Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, that we are to not copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
But we're to let God transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the idea behind this is that you and I, as Christ followers, those that have made that decision, we are not to just kind of be drifting like a car out of an alignment to whatever culture says is normal and acceptable. No, we are to be the opposite. We're to be different. We're to fight against the pull of where our culture sometimes takes us. And one of the core verses we've been looking at throughout this series is found in Ephesians verse, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's giving them instructions on how to live their life, on how to act, how to obey, how to do things. And he tells them this. He says, look carefully how you what? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise people. That word walk in some translations means what you do, how you live, how you act. And so Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, he's gone through this whole list of how they should be living their life as Christ followers. And he says, you need to be careful how you walk. You need to be careful how you live. You need to be careful how you act. And he goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, making the best use of the what? Of the time. Some translations say making the most of every opportunity. Or the New King James Version says to redeem the time that you have been given. And so in essence, what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus is he's saying, listen, for those of you that have committed your lives to following and living like Jesus, you need to make the most of your time. You need to use it wisely. You need to redeem it in such a way that it has an impact, not just the pull of culture, but it is used intentionally and purposefully to make a difference, not only in your life, but your family and the world around you. And so a question we asked last week that I want to ask again is how are you using your time? How are you using your time? Last week, if you were here, you'll remember that we said that Jesus was an incredibly, incredibly busy person. He had these constant demands on his schedule, his time. You see in all four biographical accounts, all four gospels as they're called in the New Testament, the first four books, what you see is you see him constantly going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and he's busy, and he's busy, and he's busy, and is active. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, when it describes Jesus and his disciples, one of the most common words that's used, it's used over 40 times, around 45 to be exact, is the word immediately, and you get this sense that Jesus and his followers were busy. They were going immediately from this, immediately to this, immediately to this. They were incredibly, incredibly busy people who were always doing something. And what's interesting is when we see this, what this means for us is that sometimes I think in the church world, in the Christian world, for those of us that follow Jesus, we tend to think that being busy is a bad thing. We think, I'm too busy, God doesn't want me to be busy, I need more margin, I need more space. And yes, while that may be true, what we see in the life of Jesus is that we are never to spend our time just relaxing and at ease and sipping a margarita on the beach. What we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus was incredibly busy, but in a healthy way. In fact, what we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus was incredibly busy, but the uniqueness that defined his busyness, if you will, is that he was busy but never in a hurry. 
And what we see is theologians throughout the centuries have noted that hurry is one of the great enemies of our spiritual life. Because it is simply impossible to have a restful soul if you live in a state of hurry. And so last week we began this series by acknowledging that there are many of us who we live in in such a a state of hurry that we feel this anxiety that we're never able to kind of rest, to take a breath. We're never able to turn off the noise and the distractions and the things that are running through our mind, the to-do list that has to be done. And so we're never able to fully rest. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that despite his busyness, despite his chaos, despite his schedule and everything else, Jesus took time to pause and rest. And so we live in this world where I think what I want to help us see today is that while Jesus had these certain things that were a part of his rhythm, today I want you to see this. Hurry makes it hard for us to love others. Hurry makes it hard for us to love others. When you and I live in this constant state of hurry, it is impossible for us to love other people the way Jesus loved other people. Because that's kind of what this series is about. It's recognizing the way that Jesus used his time and spent his time. And what we see is he found time for rest and he found time for others. But hurry makes it so hard to love others. Why? Because when we are in a hurry, we reduce people to obstacles. Right, like we, we reduce people to, to something that we want to push out of the way, that we want to go around, that we want to avoid, that we want to not interact with because we have so much to do that we don't have time for people. So we want to move them out of the way, avoid them, use them as an obstacle, whatever we need to do. We just want them to leave us alone and stop talking so that we can get done the things that we need to get done. When we live in a state of hurry, people are simply problems that need to be overcome. And Jesus tells a great story about this in Luke chapter 10 when he tells a story about a man who's attacked on the road. He's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's attacked on the road. And I'll just kind of paraphrase the story. He's he's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's attacked, he's robbed, he's beaten. He's kind of stripped of his clothes and left on the side of the road, half dead, almost dead. And when Jesus tells this story, these two figures come and walk by this man lying on the road. And they are two religious figures. There is the priest and a Levite. So basically the guy who runs the temple and performs the rituals and the duties. And the Levite who's kind of like a temple assistant who helps the priest and do different things with the sacrifices. And both of these men, Jewish religious leaders, when they see their fellow Jewish man on the side of the road, Jesus tells the story that they actually went around them, around him to continue on with where they were going. And it's interesting to think about this story, to think about why these two Jewish religious leaders wouldn't have stopped to help this Jewish man on the side of the road who needed help. Now, most scholars would agree that these two guys most likely were probably either returning from or going to their temple duty that they had to do. And they had to be there at a certain time, and they were most likely concerned about being ceremonially unclean, not touching someone who was bleeding or whatever it happened to be. And so they had all these concerns, and they had to make sure that if they were at the temple at a certain time, if they weren't there by that certain time, the temple would close for the day, and they had to camp out outside, and they couldn't get in until the next morning. And so there was very much all these time constraints on their schedule. And and I love the way Alan Fadling puts it in his book, The Unhurried Life. He says this way about the story. He says, these two men saw the severely wounded man as a distraction from what they were supposed to do for God. 
Furthermore, their schedules were probably too full to accommodate the wounded person on their way. In other words, they didn't stop because they didn't have the time. Don't miss this. Here are two religious leaders who are going to serve God in this moment. And they are so busy, so in a state of hurry, that they are unable to stop and help another human being who is made in the very image of God. Can I just confess something to you this morning? I've done that. I think a lot of us have. We've been so busy doing what God has called us to do, what God wants us to do. We don't have time for the people who are distractions. We don't have time for the things that aren't the plan. We don't have time. We're too busy. We're too much in a hurry. We can't, we can't stop and help the person that comes to us, that interrupts our schedule, that stops by unannounced. We can't do that because we have so many other things to do that are way more important. And some of those things are sometimes that we know and we are confident that God wants us to do. It makes it really hard Hurry does, makes it really hard for us to love others. Why? Because loving others requires time. Like, right, just be honest, loving others always takes time. And this is one of the reasons that we've said throughout this series that hurry is one of the great enemies of our spiritual life. Because I don't know if you know this, but when it comes to the spiritual life, like our our faith in God and our walk with him, the point of our spiritual life is love. Like the point of our spiritual life is not to get our to-do list done. It's not to make sure we accomplish all of our tasks. The point of the spiritual life is to love in such a way that everything we are and everything we do brings glory to God who lives in heaven. And in fact, look at the way Jesus said this. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 27. When somebody asked him, what is the key, like the greatest commandment? Like if I was going to live one thing and one thing only, what would be the thing I would need to do? Jesus says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Basically, Jesus sums up everything in two sentences. He says, if you fulfill these two laws, if you love God and love others, that's the key. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says it this way about this topic of love. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but I don't love others, I would just be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secrets and his plans and possessed all of the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, I could brag about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. In other words, Paul tells the church in Corinth, when it comes to how you spend and use your time, if you don't use it 
in a loving others kind of way, you're wasting it. Loving others requires time. And what I love about scripture is we see this modeled so well by God and by Jesus. I mean, it's not like we're told, like we're told in scripture that God is patient, right? Like it's not something God exercises. It's not something God has to work at. It's who God is. God is patient. God is kind. God is loving. It's part of his character. It's part of who he is. And we see this from the very beginning. For those of you that are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, when they are in the Garden of Eden and God has made this this perfect place for them. And what I love about this story is everything is perfect. Everything is great. And they they sin. They eat the fruit. And you're familiar with the story. They, They take what's forbidden. They do something they're not supposed to do. And sin immediately enters the world. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God, I feel like I say that a lot. If I was God in this moment, And I knew that Adam and Eve, the people I created and made this perfect thing for, and I said, you can do whatever you want, just don't do this one thing. And I knew that they had eaten the fruit, right? Because God knows everything, he knows. I would have shown up in this garden in a state of hurry and panic. I'd have been like, dude, what are you doing, Adam? Are you crazy? Are you insane? Eve, why did you do I would have been like angry. I would have been frustrated. I would not have been patient. I would not have been kind. I would have been in a hurry to punish and rebuke them for what they did. Look at how God enters the garden in Genesis chapter 3. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking. Love moves Slowly. You cannot love like God if you are in a hurry. He shows up in what should have been a chaotic, hurry-filled moment. And he's just walking. And so for you and I, as people who want to redeem our time and use it wisely the way Jesus did, we need to understand this. It is impossible to love when you are in a hurry. It is impossible. And you may think you're doing it incredibly well. You're not. You cannot love well when you are in a hurry. So here's what I want us to do as people who are seeking to redeem our time, to spend it and use it wisely the way that God and Jesus intended for us to do it. I just want to give you a couple practical ways I think that you and I can begin to eliminate some of this hurry in our lives and love others well. And the first thing we need to do if you're taking notes is we need to shift our priorities. We need to shift our priorities. Luke 10, 38 through 42 says it this way. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him and asked, she comes to him, she's like, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What I love about this story is that both of these two women, Martha and Mary, are doing good things. 
neither one of them is like doing something wrong in this moment, right? Like we see Mary who's sitting down by the feet of Jesus, listening. We see Martha who has her to-do list things. She's in a hurry to make sure that the house is clean, that this is done, that this is organized, the food is prepared. She's in a state of hurry, making sure that she is able to be hospitable and host Jesus and his disciples who were there because God is a hospitable God and he invites people into relationship with him. And so Mary, or she is trying to live out the character and nature of God in this moment. She is not doing something wrong, but Jesus basically looks at her and says, hey, the good thing you are doing, that's awesome. That's a good thing. That's good. But your sister's doing something better. She's doing something better. And I think for so many of us, and maybe this is just my life, I think so many times I have a hard time loving other people well the way Jesus wanted to is because I have said yes to so many good things that I don't have space for the better things. I have become so busy with a bunch of good things, not bad things, that I don't have space for the better things. What does it look like for you? What would it look like for you to begin to shift your priorities to realize that the people in your life are not obstacles to your productivity? They are not distractions from what you need to do. They are the better thing. First, we need to shift our priorities. Second, what was the better thing that Mary was doing? She was fully present and engaged. And so if we want to redeem our time the way Jesus did, we need to practice being present. We need to practice being present. I, I, I think um, this is probably just at my house. I'm sure this doesn't happen to any of you. But there are moments where my beautiful, amazing, lovely, kind, patient wife wants to talk to me. And I'm, you know, reading the mail, watching a show, replying to an email on my phone, texting someone, distracted, and she's like, are you listening to me? That doesn't happen to you, right? Like, not at all. Uh, there's, there's moments where my kids are like, Dad, Dad, we got to tell you something. Can we show you this thing? And I'm in the, such a state of hurry, like, let's make sure this is done. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. Let's do this. That I never, like, I'm there, and I'm listening, and I hear every word that my wife and my kids say. But I'm not present. I'm distracted. I'm doing something else. I would argue that in today's distracted world, being fully present is one of the greatest gifts we could give another human being. I mean, how do you feel when you go to lunch with somebody and they sit down and their phone is face up because they know at any moment they might get a phone call or a text that's more important than you? But how do you feel when you go to someone's house for dinner and you can be there for three hours and they're not distracted by one thing? You feel known. You feel much different. Some of us, we are constantly preoccupied with what's not in front of us that we're forgetting to pay attention to what is in front of us. You cannot love others well if you are not present. And I understand we have work schedules. The issue is not the amount of hours we work. Some of you, maybe it is, but for the most part, for the majority of us, the issue is not the amount of hours we work. It's that when we are in the presence of people, 
we're not really present with them. We're distracted, we're unfocused, we're constantly thinking about other things. I think for many of us, we need to learn the simple task of shifting our eyes up away from our phones, shifting our eyes away from the television to the person, turning off something and giving them our focus and our undivided attention. You cannot love others well if you are not present. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, says it this way. We don't want to disappoint hundreds of people we've never met, so we work all night and ruin the evening of the few people who depend on us every day. If that doesn't make you want to, like, go home and cry about yourself, that's just me then, okay? So... I love that Matthew 12, and this won't be on the screen, we get, we get this picture where Jesus is fully present with the people in the room that he's talking to and teaching, so much so that somebody comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, your, your family, your mother, your brother, they're waiting outside, they wanna talk to you. And Jesus literally says to them, in this moment, I have no family, I'm focused on this moment. He is willing to be so engaged that he's like, I don't even care about my family. There's another moment in Mark chapter uh, nine, I believe it is, where Jesus is so focused on teaching his disciples that he doesn't respond to anyone else. He is present with them. What I love about this, and don't miss this, because Jesus, right, we said last week, he is God in human form. He's the physical embodiment of God. And so God, on the other hand, one thing we need about God, God is omnipresent. God can be anywhere and everywhere all at once. But Jesus, when he spent his time, he was not omnipresent. He embraced his unipresence. He embraced that he could be one place with few people at one moment in time, and he leaned into it. Listen, you are not omnipresent. You were not created to be omnipresent. You were not created to have a conversation, listen to the radio, watch TV, and tweet, and email all at the same time. Jesus couldn't do it, neither can you. Practice the presence of being with people. There's this, uh, Fred Rogers, the creator of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't know if you know much about his life, but one of his uh, biographers, he was like an incredibly busy guy. Like, I was curious how busy he was when I read this statement. And so listen to how busy Fred Rogers was. He personally wrote 900 scripts for his show. He personally wrote 200 songs and 13 different operas. He also starred in, produced, directed, performed the music, and animated the puppets for the show. I think the guy had a little bit of a control issue maybe, but like uh, what's amazing about this guy, incredibly busy, but when a biographer was researching his life, a common theme they found in employee after employee and family member after family member and person after person was they all said, no matter how busy Fred was, when he was with you, you felt like the most important person in his life. They actually labeled in his biography, they labeled it Fred time because he was present. Man, I wish people could say that about me. Maybe they can say it about you. Just peeling away the layers of my life. There are moments where I'm even just out in the lobby talking to someone and my eyes are looking behind them at someone else, wondering who else I can talk to at the same time. We need to practice being present. And lastly, 
if we wanna live the way Jesus did and the way he loved others, we need to embrace interruptions. We need to embrace interruptions. Have you ever met someone who is so incredibly efficient, productive, and succeeding from the world's point of view, but is so incredibly unloving and unkind? Like, sure, they get a lot of things done. They, 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 they seem like they're taking on the world. They're climbing the ladder. They're doing this after this after this. But sort of in the path of their destruction is just like this wake of dead bodies. Take a look at Mark chapter 10. I love this story. Jesus, it says, this is Jesus and his friends, and they're traveling. It says, then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the, the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout. I love this. He's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And look what the people are like, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Like, stop talking. <laughs> like, they're, they're getting on to him for yelling at Jesus, right? And because what happened was Bartimaeus, this wasn't like a casual thing. Bartimaeus would go to the same corner on the same road every single week, day after day after day as a beggar. So everyone knew Bartimaeus. This wasn't like a stranger. They were like, listen, Bartimaeus, just be quiet. We know you're just going to ask for something. But he only shouted louder. And I love what happens next. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, what did he do? He... Let's try this again. All of our campuses. Bartimaeus is yelling, Jesus, son of David, help me, help me. Jesus does what? And he says, tell him to come here. So they call the blind man, and now all of a sudden they're no longer telling him to be quiet. They're like, hey, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. Like they've completely reversed their tone. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Right, a miracle is about to happen. Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. I wanna, I wanna point out a couple things to you. This was an incredibly busy moment for Jesus. He is on his way to Jerusalem to die. It's the final week of his life. And I get it, you have a lot going on. I have a lot going on. Jesus definitely had a lot going on in this moment. He is literally going to his death, thinking about what are all the last things I wanna say? How, how bad is this gonna hurt? What's this gonna be? I mean, he is going to die. He is busy, he is excited, but he's nervous and he's anxious and all these things are going on. He has a lot to do. You would think that Jesus, as he prepares for this final moment of his life, would not have time for the interruptions because he's busy and he has things to do. But that wasn't part of the plan. He stopped. Like, don't miss it. He stopped. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. When Jesus is walking to heal Jairus' daughter, somebody touches his robe, and he stops. He sees a woman at a well, all by herself, at the wrong time of day, and he stops. He sees Zacchaeus, the short little dude up in a tree, and he stops. And I think one of the most profound ways that we can defeat hurry in our lives and love others the way Jesus did is to stop, to take time and stop. C.S. Lewis says it this way, the great thing if one can is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is of course that we all call the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life that God is sending one day.
by day. In other words, if we want to redeem our time and use it the way Jesus did, we need to stop viewing the people who interrupt our busyness and our task and our to-do list as interruptions, and we need to view them as God's plan for that day. We need to see them as something that we, like, like it's interesting, like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, like, I would say 90%, 80% of all of the miracles that Jesus performed were not planned. They all occurred when he was on his way to something else. Almost every miracle that happens in the New Testament is an interruption in Jesus's schedule. And I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, Adam, I just wish I would see more miracles in my life. And I wanted to scream at them, maybe you need to start letting people interrupt your schedule. Maybe the reason you don't see God move in mighty, crazy, big ways is because you are so busy and so focused on going to the next thing, to the next thing, that you don't embrace the interruptions and allow God to do what only God can do in those moments that are unplanned and unscheduled. Embrace the interruptions. What about you? Do you embrace the people who interrupt your schedule, the people who interrupt your plan, the people who aren't part of your checklist? I know for me, I'm learning this, right? Like, and I can always tell this. Uh, one of the things I'm learning is that for me, avoidance is always a sign of an unhurried life. What do I mean by that? When I go to Target, and I told you last week, I take the AirPods out, but when I go to Target and I see someone, and I'm like, man, I really don't have time for that conversation. So I go down a different aisle. Avoidance is a sign of a hurried life. What about you? Are people obstacles? Or are people the very thing that God has placed in your path for you in that moment in time? Love requires time. It is impossible to love others, whether that's strangers, family members, whatever. It is impossible to love people when we are in a hurry. Slow down. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for you and for your example. For the way that you, um, gosh, for the way that you just model what it looks like to faithfully love people even when they don't fit our plan and our schedule and our agenda. God, I pray that we would be the type of people who embrace interruptions, who practice being present with others who understand that the task is not as important as the person. As we continue praying this morning, I'm just curious, maybe you're here today or across all of our campuses, and you would say, Adam, honestly, <laughs> I could use a little work in this area. I just want to pray for you. Would you be willing to admit that, man, I, I don't love others the way I should. I, I'm so busy, I'm so hurried, I'm so focused on what I need to get done that sometimes people are obstacles, sometimes people are annoyance, sometimes people are a nuisance, and I, I just, sometimes I just want them to get out of my way so that I can do what I need to do. If that's you this morning, I just wanna pray for you. Would you just kind of wherever you are in this moment, just a transparency, would you just raise your hand? A lot of us. Father, I pray for every hand that is raised, that you would begin to, to stir and work in their hearts, God, that you would show us how to redeem our time to love others the way that you did.
as we continue praying, maybe you're here this morning. And I just wanna be honest and let you know that one of the things I love about Jesus is that he loved people even when they didn't deserve it. Right, like it's, I, think it's, I think it's easy for us to love people who are like us, to love people who are, uh, have value to us, to love people who have worth or whatever it happens to be. What I love about Jesus is that we see Jesus in the final moment of his life when he's with his 12 friends. He's loving the people that have been following him, but he also invites Judas to the table. He's willing to love the very person that he knows is going to betray him. And maybe you are here today. And if you were honest, you have not been following Jesus, living with him, or surrendered your life to him, and you feel unlovable and unworthy, let me just tell you, it's not true. He loves you, and he desperately wants to show you what a relationship with him can do for your life. And so this morning, if you're at any of our campuses and you, for the first time in your life, you wanna surrender your life to Jesus and to accept his love, just in this moment of boldness, would you just, with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Jesus, I surrender my life to you. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my Lord and my King and my Savior. Jesus, I surrender all. Amen.